listening to a recent sermon from Covenant Church. For more information or other sermons like this one, you can find us at covenantchurchonline.com. And now with a message from our service, A Family Christmas, here is our lead pastor, Travis Davenport. Um, you know, for me, I wanted to tell a brief story about Christmas in my house growing up. I've got some crazy Christmas stories. I've already talked to you in the past, if you remember, about the, about the night heat. Remember the bike I got? Night heat. And, uh, and my, my parents had tricked me because I'd been asking all year for the night heat. Please, 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 I want this night heat, you know, and this bike. And, and they tricked me on, on Christmas morning by rolling out an old, like, junker of a bike. And they had spray painted it and put the word night heat on it, and it was over in the corner. And they just positioned it just so much that I could see it out of the corner of my eye all of Christmas morning. Remember that? I told you that. And I got on it, and I was pedaling it. And they were like, how do you like it? I'm like, it's great, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was so embarrassed. And I get them off of it, and they actually gave me the real bike. I told you that story. I, I talked to you about the time that I received bunnies for Christmas. I told you about that, right? I got a, a box full of two live rabbits that was probably very hazardous. Um, the box was just moving, and we opened it, and bunnies jumped out. That was my mom's idea. The, uh, I remember the Christmas that I first received a Ninja Turtle. That was a, that was a really landmark year for me as a young man. Um, yeah, cowbunga. <laughs> but for me, for me at my house growing up, it, it was really, if I'm going to be honest with you, it was really uh, quantity over quality. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it, it's still the same thing to this day. Like when I'm shopping for my mom for Christmas... It, it, she would rather me purchase 10 things that cost, you know, a small amount of money than one thing that costs a lot of money. Do, do we have anybody like that in here? Or any relatives that you shop for that are like that? Anybody in here? Anybody? Yeah, exactly. So this is what it meant for Christmas. We, we had so many gifts. We would literally, my brother and I, we would stack these gifts up and like build like a fort around ourselves. But the fact of the matter is, it might have been a huge box, but inside most likely there was a tube of uh, chapstick. Right? Or maybe there's a shoehorn. These are all real gifts that we open. And you open them as a kid, and you're like, what is? It's a shoehorn that will help you with your shoes. Oh, thanks, Grandma. You know, this is awesome. Yeah. Whoop. You know? <laughs> and then at Christmas time, it also wasn't about just the gifts for us. It was also about the stockings. Anybody get stockings in here? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And I'm not talking about the ones hung by the fireplace with care in hopes that Santa will leave some good stuff there. Um, I'm literally talking about a bag full of junk that somebody pulled out of a drawer and stuck in a bag. That's what stockings were at our house. Um, So my grandma was the one who gave the stockings. So you never knew, never knew what was going to be in them. You're like, oh, an orthopedic shoe. Thank you, grandma. This is Dr. Scholl's inserts. These are fantastic. But we would have these huge bags. And and grandma would always be so excited. She'd be like, all right, kids, well, we're going to have our Christmas breakfast. Then we're going to get back and open stockings. And we're like, yes, maybe, because every year we're just, we're just a little bit excited that it's going to be better. You know what I'm talking about? Just a little bit more excited you know, than, than normal, because we're like, maybe Grandma got it right this year, because last year I got a pocket of nickels and some socks and pantyhose, and I'm a dude. So it didn't make sense, unless she wants me to rob a bank. <clears throat> but every year it's the same. Quantity over quality. Quantity over quality, um, you'd open it up, and like I said, there's chapstick. There's, there's just tons of stuff, you know, chapstick, napkins. You're like, wow, 
Um, I remember one year I received a box of popcorn. And I was like, this is, wow, this is the, this is the gift that keeps on giving, right? This is just, you just never knew it was this mixed match of what was going to be in there. And, and so sometimes you would end up uh, with this bag of stuff and you'd be like, man, what is this? What is this really like worth? You know, how much could I get for a shoehorn? People would be like, not much at all. Because it's a shoehorn, you're not going to get anything for it. You try to pawn it off to your friends or whatever, but it, it just really wasn't worth anything. And today, what I want to talk to you about is that same thing. Shoehorns? No, no, no. I want to talk to you about what you're worth. I just briefly want to speak to you this morning and ask you the question, what are you worth? What are you worth? You know, a lot of us base our worth off of what we look like, which for some of us is better than others. Um, much better than others, but some of us, some of us it's much worse than others. I don't, I don't really know. But do you base um, your worth on what you look like? Do you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and, and say, okay, my eyes are level and my, my ears are somewhat level and my hair is, is a mess, but, you know, I can put some gel in it and I can, I can kind of help that out? Is that where you find your worth? Some of us find our worth in, in, our, in money, in our bank account. Right? So when somebody says, how much are you worth, you, you obviously and, and immediately go to your bank account, which for some of us is better than others, right? For some of us, it's a lot worse than others. For those of us with, with many kids, it's always horrible, right? I mean, just to be honest, right? And this time of year, it's just bad for everybody. <laughs> but you look and you say, what am I worth? Well, let me see how much I have in the bank. Maybe your worth is found in your looks. Maybe your worth is found in how much money you have. Maybe your worth is, is found in other things. Maybe your worth is found in, 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 in the things that you do in your job. Well, what are you worth? Well, I'll tell you what I'm worth because this is what I do for a living. This is what I do for a job. And this is where we pull things like worth, looks, money, job. The idea that worth is earned. We live in a culture, don't we? We live in a society that tells us that worth is earned. Prove your worth. Are you worthwhile? Are you worth it? Is he worth it? Is she worth it? Are they worth it? Prove it to me. Prove your worth. But this morning, I want to ask you a question, or rather make a statement. What if I told you that your worth is not found in what you do, but rather your worth is found in something that's already been done? What if I told you that your worth is not found in something you could do, but your worth is found in something that has already previously been done? Your worth was proven the moment God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. Amen? I'll repeat that one more time because it's so good. It should get a nice loud response from us as a church. Our worth was proven. My worth was proven. Your worth was proven the moment that God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, amen? amen? And scripture is very clear if we read it. It says that God sends Jesus and we are to call his name what? Emmanuel, which is to say God is with us. Now let me tell you, church, why this is so beautiful. The fact that God is with us, Emmanuel, that God names, names the Savior, Emmanuel, representatively Emmanuel, being God with us. It's amazing because up until this point in history, God had been somewhat separated from society. You understand, right? Up until this point in history, if, if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to be intimate with God, if you wanted to be close to God, you would have to go to a temple. And inside of that temple, you would, you would, 
you would have the Holy of Holies where a select few were able to encounter God. And it's almost as if God says, man, this isn't close enough. This, this isn't good enough for me. Yeah, I'm interacting, but people have to go to a temple. People have to go uh, become a, a high priest, and people then can come in and visit me in the Holy of Holies. This, this is not close enough. This was not intimate enough, and yet that was the way that God made himself available until Jesus, or better said, Emmanuel, was born. This was how God intended to get closer to man. He sends Jesus, who was born a baby, of a virgin named Mary. Which, by the way, can I just say, that's crazy. I mean, I don't know if you've thought about that. That's, that's crazy. You've got to give Joseph some credit, right? I mean, can you just imagine that scenario that day? Mary strolls up, you know, they're eating out at the Olive Garden, the real one, literally. And, uh, and Mary strolls up to Joseph, and she's like, Joe, I got to talk to you. He's like, what's up, girl? She's like, well, I got some news. Oh, yeah? What was that? Did your parents leave us some money for our wedding? Uh, not exactly. I, I am pregnant, though. What? What? Who? Nobody. I mean, seriously, like, like, what are you going to, nobody, I don't believe you, I don't think that can, no, seriously, it just happened, happened with, that doesn't happen, Mary, like, you would be the first woman ever that that's ever happened, yeah, that's exactly right, that's exactly, exactly what I'm saying, <laughs> and so Mary would go on to tell Joseph, no, listen, I had this, I mean, can you imagine, like, this would be like the ultimate list of excuses, no, listen, listen, Joseph, I know what it sounds like, I know what it, I know what it sounds like, but, but I had an angel come, oh yeah, an angel, come on, let me, let me hear the rest of it, an angel showed up and said that you're going to be pregnant, and you're going to carry the Messiah that is going to save the entire world, you gotta think Joseph's like, girl, you got a savior complex, like, what are you talking about, right? And so Joseph does what any intelligent man in that position would do. He decides to leave her, <laughs> right? I don't want whatever. That ain't mine. I'm gone, right? Until one night, Joseph has a dream when an angel comes to him, and he says, you are going to have a son. Mary is going to give birth to Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. Don't be anxious. What she has said is true. You're going to call him Emmanuel because he will be with you and he will save his people from their sin. And God puts on flesh and bone through Jesus Christ. Think about that. God, God of the universe, the God of the cosmos, puts on flesh and bone and walks and talks and breathes with his creation. He feels what his creation feels. He weeps with his creation. He laughs with creation. I know that's a weird picture to think of, of Jesus, right? Like when we, when we see pictures of Jesus, he's always, you know, he's always very regal, always very solemn, always very, very white. None of these things are necessarily accurate. Of course, Jesus was very solemn, but I don't think he was very white. Um... Otherwise, you know, because Jesus was born in the Middle East, and it doesn't say, behold, a virgin shall conceive a white man. Like, it doesn't, because that would have been almost as shocking to them as 
Mary being a virgin and giving birth. Like, wow. Then Joseph would be like, I knew you were lying. I knew you were lying. Right? <laughs> no, Jesus puts on flesh and bone. And he laughs with his creation and he prays with his creation. He weeps and ultimately he's killed by his creation. But this was always the plan. You realize that. Something hadn't necessarily gone awry in this plan that God had laid out. This was always the plan because it was always God's desire. And don't miss this covenant. It was always God's desire to be close with his creation. From the beginning, we see in the Garden of Eden, God walking and talking with Adam and Eve, a personal, intimate relationship of touch, of, of, of speaking words, of listening, of laughing, of, of crying, whatever it might be. God's ultimate desire is to have an intimate knowledge and an intimate relationship with us. And then sin enters into the world because of humanity and Adam and Eve's decision, and then this separation, this rift between God and man takes place. And now this God who craves intimacy, who desires to know and longs for uh, the, 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 the close times with his creation is now separated because of sin. You understand that? And so the Bible is, is, is entirely this, this beautiful love story of a God trying to recapture the intimacy and the hearts of his creation. And that's what the birth of Christ is all about. And maybe it just sets in motion the intimacy that God longs to have with us. Death of Christ was always part of the plan. A sacrifice had to be made for our sin. And because of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, all of a sudden, God isn't some temple for the elite. You understand that? Now, because the price for sin has been paid because of the man Jesus Christ, now, no longer do we have to attend some temple or, or become some priest or, or do some kind of uh, some weird type of ritual where we sacrifice animals. Now we can literally know God. And God says, I long to be intimate with you. I long to know you. This is why I came and, and made myself available to you in the temple. But that wasn't close enough. That wasn't intimate enough. That wasn't vulnerable enough. So I slapped on skin and bone and I walked amongst you. Emmanuel, God has come. God is with you. But still, that's not close enough for me because I'm an intimate God. So now instead of being in a place where you go, and now instead of being a person that you can touch, rather now I have made myself available to live inside you. Think about the vulnerableness of God. Saying, just touching you isn't enough. I want to live inside of you. This is why scripture says we are now a holy temple. Some temples are, uh, require a little more upkeep than others. However, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of us for those who have decided to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior. God lives inside of us. So Emmanuel takes on a whole new meaning for us in our context, doesn't it? The meaning is the same, the definition is the same, but the implications are different. 
For Mary and Joseph and the people, the Israelites at that point in time, they physically interacted with Jesus. Jesus was Emmanuel because he was with them. But us, but us, we have a different understanding of the term Emmanuel. Because to God, that still wasn't close enough. Jesus says, God says, I want to be alive in you. So we truly can say Emmanuel. God is with us because he is in us. Think about that, church. God is with us because he is in us. The disciples were so scared the moment that Jesus rose from the dead, and, and, and they're all excited then. You know, they're like, yes, yes, we thought all hope was lost. We were hiding out. We all ran away. We thought, man, the worst thing in the world. We're going to have to go back and be fishermen. And Jesus shows up. He's like, no, 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 no. You're fishers of men. It's all good. You know, I'm here. I'm here. And they're like, yeah, whew. What will we do without you? And then Jesus is like, well, okay, actually, I'm leaving. Are you serious? Where are you going? I'm going to heaven. You're not going to see me again until you meet me in heaven. Oh, fantastic. But Jesus says, but I'm leaving a helper with you, the Holy Spirit, God. And at, the t- at that time, I got I to admit, if I was a disciple, I'd be like, I feel like I'm kind of getting ripped off here. You know, it's like you're watching the movie Titanic. You know what I'm saying? Like at the end where it's Jack and the other girl. You know, and she's like on, she's like on the wooden, uh, you know, half of a boat, and he's just hanging there. Number one, there was room on that raft for two. <laughs> there was room on that. If I was Jack, I'd have been, woman, move over. I ain't dying like this, right? But it's kind of like she's holding his hand, and, and Jack looks up to her, and he's like, you know, he's like, he's fading away into the ocean, you know? And he's like, don't worry, our love will go on, you know, in your heart. And then he dies, right? If I'm a disciple, I'm probably feeling that way about Jesus. Like, oh, thanks. And Jesus is like, our love will go on, you know? And then the Titanic and Celine Dion start singing from the heavens, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and maybe some of you have been even told that. Um, you know, when you try to do a, like a long distance relationship and you've been tricked into thinking those work, you know, <laughs> we can make it work. Our love will go on. We'll write letters and email and then week three happens and you break up, <laughs> right? Our love will go on because it's some kind of feeling. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is God. And for too long in our churches, I don't know about your upbringing, I was, I was brought up Baptist, right? And so we would say things like this, amen. And we would say things like this, brother. In fact, if you didn't know someone's name in church, it was okay because you would just say, hey, brother. It was okay. You just said, hey, brother, right? And it was mandatory to call your wife your bride. That's what, oh, like, have you met my bride? What? Who? You are weird. Yes, this is my bride. Hey, look at everyone. Here comes my bride. Oh, are you getting married today? No, she's my bride, right? I don't know. It's strange to me. But something that it, it seemed like, it was kind of this unwritten rule that God is like the varsity player. Jesus is like JV, and the Holy Spirit is like freshman ball. <laughs> Maybe even like middle school ball. You know what I'm talking about? Like God is the ultimate, and then he sends Jesus, and he's the JV. He's not necessarily as good as God, but he's still kind of God. And then God and Jesus say, we're out of here, peace, but we're going to leave you the the Holy Spirit. We're like, oh, thanks, freshman ball. It's true, you can laugh, but you know it's true. And and it's kind of like this unspoken kind of thing. I want you to know this, 
that the same God who created the universe, the same God that put on flesh and bone, is the same God that lives inside of you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not getting second best. You're not getting third best. You're not getting JV. You're not getting freshman. You're not getting middle school. You're getting the opportunity to have the God of the universe dwell and live inside of you. Is there any better gift than that? And yet, we turn and walk away and say, no, nah, I don't want that. And God says, I can't get any more intimate than that. God literally makes us a part of his family. And one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of John. And chapter 1, verse 12 talks about to anyone who accepts Christ, believes in Jesus, they're now part of the family of God. They're worthy to be called sons of God, no longer born of flesh and blood, but now born of the Spirit. The moment that we accept Christ, we are part of his family. A couple months ago, my son Noah, we were sitting down at, 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 at the table, hanging out, like we do as men. And Noah looks across the table. He, he had just come off of like a week, kind of like a streak of, uh, of, of bad behavior, right? And so we were experimenting on all different types of punishments with him. And it was literally a week where I had taken every single thing that he owned out of his room. Um, you think I'm joking. This is truth. Um, I started with his toys. I started with his train table. went to his train table. Uh, I went to his, his clothing. Then... I took away his lamp. I started running out of stuff, to be honest with you. And ended up that, I mean, I literally, we took his bed out of his room. We, like, literally took, I started with, like, I went sheet by sheet. Give me some credit. I was like, no, I'm going to, if you're not obedient today, we're going to take literally your sheets. Took his sheets off his bed. He's like, how am I going to sleep in here? Well, be obedient, right? And then I took his pillow. And then we took his top, like his blanket. Then I literally picked up his mattress and walked into the hallway. And he's just like sitting there. He's like, I'm still not going to listen, right? I'm like, wow. What am I? I don't even, there's nothing. Can I like peel off the paint? There's nothing else to take from you, right? And so he, we just come off a week like that. Is that child abuse? Maybe. I don't know. We still fed him. He was still healthy. And so we just come off a week like that, and we're sitting here, and he says to me, he goes, Dad, I want you to know something. I'm going to work to be obedient. And I said, that's good, son. That's fantastic. You can have your bed back. <laughs> he said, no, 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 Dad, I'm, I'm going to work to be obedient. I'm going to make you proud, and I'm going to earn the name Davenport. That's what he said. Yeah. And I said, that's right, you will. I said, I want to earn the name Davenport. And I looked at him and I said, son, you never have to earn the name Davenport. You were my son the moment that you were born. In fact, you were, really, if you want to be specific about it, the moment that, that daddy found out that mommy was pregnant, you were my son. 95% sure that you were my son. <laughs> Just saying, there's always the Mary scenario, right? So the moment that we went to the hospital and we, and we saw your little heart beating, 
The moment that we went and we, we got x-rays, you know, not x-rays, we saw the pictures inside of you, uh, inside of mommy and, and saw you growing. But then, son, the moment that I watched you being born and I picked you up and I held you in my hands and I lifted you up like the Lion King, like I always wanted to do, right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you were my son. <laughs> you were my son. I told him that, you're my son because you were born into my family. No, you're my, you're my boy because you were born into my family. And now that you've been born into my family, you'll always be my son. It's not an issue of obedience, Noah. You'll always be my son. It's not an issue of, of you earning something. You, you will always be my son. And, and I told him, I said, Noah, I want you to achieve great things in life. But your level of success will, will never determine if you are my son. I looked at him and I said, I want you to do hard things in life. That's kind of the mantra of our family. We say we're Davenports, we do hard things. I looked at him and I said, I want you to do hard things in life, Noah, but, but, but good or bad, it doesn't determine if you are my son. And I said, I know there's going to be times that you fall, buddy. I know there's going to be times that you fail. But I want you to know, moments of failure will never determine whether or not you are my son. Because you have been my son since the moment you were born. Your worth came through birth. And this morning, I want to echo the same sentiment to you. Your worth has come through birth. Your worth has come through birth, through the birth of Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his love towards you. And you're so, you're so eager to, to prove that you're worth something. When God says, I already showed you that you were worth something. I sent Jesus to be born for you. And you say, no, 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 God, I can do good things. Watch, watch this, watch this. I can make you love me. I'm worth it. Right? And we do things like this. We, 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 we pray like a long time. Like that's going to impress God. You know what I'm talking about? Like I prayed today. You're in your small group, your Sea Life group, and people are like, hey, how's the personal walk with Christ going? Really good today. I prayed for 23.2 minutes. That's right. Thank you very much. Psst, burn. Right? <laughs> kind of like God's up in heaven be like, whoa! Did you see that dude? 22 minutes. Michael, you got to come check this out, man. This guy's crazy. Pray for 22 minutes straight. Michael's like, shoot, man, you don't even understand. This is dude over here praying for 45 minutes. What? That is impressive. That is impressive. Right? What? Seriously? You go around, you talk about tithing. How much money did you give? Well, I don't want to talk about it too much, Pastor, but I did tithe last year 27% of my total income net gross. Right? You're like, what? Are those the things that impress God? And yet those are the things that we strive to earn our affection from God with. Your worth came through birth. You feel me, church? Your worth is solidified the moment God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. Your worth has come through birth because God loves you. And here's the, here's the thing with God. One of the most famous verses, I was reminded of it the other day, during the Ohio State game, uh, we were kicking a field goal, and of course, I saw a guy with a huge sign right between the, the field goal post, and it says, John 3, 16. I looked at my wife, and I said, I don't even know if God could save us now. I'm going to be honest with you. 
Like literally, that's how bad the game was, right? But I'm reminded of one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God what? See, you know it. What's interesting, it doesn't say God loved the world so he sent Jesus. No, the Bible says that God so loved the world. God so loved the world. That's more than just loving the world. God so loves you. God can't help himself. He can't help it. Because love isn't just something he talks about. Love isn't just something he, he does. Love is, 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 is who he is. God is love. Scriptures tell us that God is love. And God so loves the world that he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. And the world, God, you know, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. He so loves the world and he so Loves you. Now, what's sad about this is that, you know, I think the word love has become so convoluted in our culture today, hasn't it? I mean, let's be honest, hasn't it? Love you. Love you. Love you, girl. Love you, man. Love you, bro. Love you, guys. I love pizza. It's become so convoluted. But God's love, God's love, God's love pierces through the convoluted cheapness that this world has believed love to be. A world that believes love can be purchased, that love can, is all about self, a love is, that is about things. This is not love. Those things are, are not love. So God says, I will demonstrate my love for my people. And he sends Jesus because God so loves. He just can't help it. He doesn't just love, he so loves. I, I, maybe you've met parents before. You know, God is a father and he's a father that so loves. Maybe you've met parents before who had this problem. They so love their kids. You know what I'm talking about? They so love their kids. Um, I grew up in a home where, my, where, to be honest with you, my parents so had a problem with the so loves. We'll just say that, the so loves. Like my mom, um, you know, I remember playing sixth grade football, and I'm out there, and, you know, peewee football, flag football, actually. And I'm out there, and, and I'm a, you know, I weigh the same amount then as I did now. I was just three feet shorter, so you can imagine. I just rolled onto the field. <laughs> but I was the perfect lineman, and uh, entire line, man. And... Um, where do we put them? Just put them there. Just stand behind them and we'll just run, right? Or pass. And I remember like putting on my flags, like, you know, and I'd stand there, you know, and they'd hike and I'd hike back the ball. And, but I remember even in like fifth and sixth grade, my mom like going bananas on the sideline. Go, Travi! Go, baby! Her face is painted. She's got like an embroidered hat. Like they don't even sell those, mom. I know I had one made, honey. I just want to celebrate you. We've got four games. We play four times. We don't even keep score. I know, but you're going to win anyway, right? That doesn't make sense. I remember my dad. My dad was always insistent on being the coach of our football team. So seventh grade comes around, right? My dad's the coach. And, and, and he would always... <laughs> he would always come, like I was playing defense, and, and he'd always come over, and like during practice, he'd be like, hey, we're going to be uh, tossing the ball right, just so you know. You can't, you're the coach, you can't tell me that stuff, but thank you, right? And I'd get down and I'd be like, yeah, that's my boy. And he'd always be running up and down the sidelines screaming, 
right? I remember, my, uh, I remember my freshman year when I was playing JV ball. My dad is literally keeping score for the football team so that he can be up next to the sidelines, right? And so <laughs> Saturday morning, because that's when JV plays, because no one comes to watch you because no one cares. <laughs> There's my mom, embroidered hat. She's got like a milk jug full of rocks, just <laughs> go, Travie, you know. She's the only one in the stands. And here's my dad with a clipboard running up and down the sidelines. Go, go, go. And I'm like, Dad, I'm right here. Oh, yeah, 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 right? And I determined one thing that day. I will never be like that when I'm a dad. But then you have kids. <laughs> and they come out, and, you know, they're born. They pop out a couple kids. And, yeah, at first they look really strange. And you're like, is everything okay with this thing? It's... Looks like an extra from The Walking Dead, and they towel it off and hand it back to you, and you're like, okay, it is normal, you know, and, and then you want to kiss this thing, you want to hug this thing, you want to hold this thing, you want to squeeze this thing, you want to sing to this thing, you want to pray with this thing, you start to care about this thing, right? And I caught myself last, <laughs> last spring. Um, we had enrolled Noah in, in a soccer program at the Y. And this is like, you know, this isn't like major soccer competition. He's playing with, with kids age seven down, which means there's a two-year-old out there, right? There's four-year-olds, there's three-year-olds who are barely, they're like walking like this, right? And Noah is like dressed to a T. <laughs> there's kids showing up in like snow pants and like T-shirts. They don't know what to wear. And Noah's out there in, like, full soccer garb. You know, he's, like, down. He's ready because we've been practicing at home. I'm like, Noah, if someone comes up to you, you can kick them in the shins. It's legal, man. It's legal. So Noah's like, gosh, Dad, that kid is, like, really short. Kick him anyway, son. Kick him anyway. No one gets to that ball except you, right? And, and, and like, literally, I'm the only dad there. You get that, right? It's like me and my wife and, like, 14 nannies, like, at the Y. They're all standing around. They don't care. They're kind of like standing around. And, and, and so all of a sudden, here's this crowd of, of little kids because that's kind of what soccer is. It's just like a ball sometimes haphazardly gets kicked and, and just a crowd of children congregate to that area. And they just do this, right? And then the ball, and they all run over there and it's just like this, right? That's what happens. And then all of a sudden, accidentally, the ball pops out and Noah runs out ahead of the pack. And I find myself doing this. And I go, 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 get that ball, son. Go get that ball, son. Go, go, go. And I'm running down the sideline. And Noah looks at me and he accidentally trips and kind of kicks this ball. And it, run, it rolls into the goal. And I'm literally ripping my shirt off, running around, go, go. And my son looks at me and is like, dad, what is wrong with you? I just so love you, son. <laughs> and I realized the, the legacy had continued from generation to generation. <laughs> Our God is a father who so loves you. Our God is a father who so loves the world. He's your champion. God is running up and down the sidelines of your life, screaming, go, go, 
Go! You can do it! I love you! I'm your champion! Your worth is not found in what you do. Your worth is found in what's been done. I sent Jesus, my son, to die for you, to prove to you, to demonstrate to you that you are worth it. So many of us spend our entire life trying to earn worth or prove worth when it's already freely been given. And it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we are able to attain this worth. Thank you for listening to this recent message from our service, A Family Christmas at Covenant Church. If you've made any type of decision today after hearing this message, we'd love to hear your story. Please contact us at mystory@covenantchurchonline.com. And check back each week for more exciting and impactful sermon audio just like this.